I'm going to talk specifically about the Ten Commandments and what they mean. And in order to understand the Ten Commandments, we can't just uh, take Scripture out of context. We can't uh, just kind of go right in the middle of a passage and run through it. We really need to see uh, the storyline. What is going on in this uh, situation? If you have your Bible, if you would turn in your Bible to uh, Exodus 20. But while you're turning there, I'm going to give you the story. In the beginning, God created everything. All right, by the word of his power, he created everything. On the sixth day, uh, he formed and fashioned out of the dirt of the ground. By the way, that he made, okay? He made that dirt. It wasn't already there. He made man and he made woman. And, uh, and he desired relationship with them. He did not need us. But he wanted to have relationship with mankind. But that relationship, all relationship, all of it, requires communication and trust. And man broke trust with God because man chose to go their own way instead of staying in relationship with God, trusting that he and he alone was the one who can properly care for them. He is the one alone that can be God and they can be his children. See, man always tries to become God of their own life. And so at that point, we became slaves We became slaves to sin. All right, so spiritually, at that very moment, we died. And then, years later, we'd have a physical death that started taking place. And this is the crazy thing. God could have, probably should have, left us to just go our own way, do our own thing, and die in our sin. But he didn't. He is a God who continues to pursue continues to clothe us in his righteousness. You see that all throughout the book of Genesis. God uh, calls people unto himself. Many reject, but some actually uh, receive him. And God does wonderful things in their life. And there's a pattern that goes on throughout the book of Genesis, all the way up to the very end where there's a man named Jacob. He has 12 sons. And one of his sons, his favorite son, second to last, named Joseph, he gets sold into slavery because his brothers were very jealous. See, that, that, that trap, that sin is in the heart of man, even within families. And they sell him off to slavery. But listen, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Because what happened is Joseph, although he was a slave, God was with him. Okay, He was away from, from uh, the family of God, the people of God, but he was never away from God. And so God allowed him through some great miracles to rise up to be second in command of Egypt. All right, now the people worshipped the Egyptian king, also known as Pharaoh. Okay, so he was like, like a god to them. And Joseph was second in command. And because of his prominence, because of his role, the Pharaoh allowed all of Joseph's family to come to Egypt and to live. And that was a good thing because where they were currently living in the land of Canaan was going through a major famine. And so the people of God were able to come to Egypt and there were about 70 men that came to Egypt, all right? Well, within 400 years, that group went from 70 to over 2.53 million people. It became a nation. But listen... The Pharaoh, within that 400 years, people die, okay? So the Pharaoh that had a good relationship with uh, the Israelites, with Joseph's family, he died. 
And there was a new Pharaoh that came into town. And this new Pharaoh was scared of these Israelites. And so what they did was they said, listen, here's what we're going to do. For fear that they're going to overthrow us, we're going to put these people, the Israelites, into slavery. And so for 400 years, the people of Israel were in slavery. 400 years not being able to make their own decisions, not being able to to have a place of worship, not being able uh, to allow their kids to grow up the way they wanted them to or to the, the aspirations that the parents wanted their kids to be a part of, to get the best education. All that type of stuff was off limits to these people because they were in slavery. And then they called up to God The cries of God, listen, the prayers prayed to God with a humble heart are heard. And so God heard their groanings. God heard their their pain and their suffering. God sent a deliverer, and his name is Moses. And Moses came, and through a series of ten plagues, because the God of Egypt, Pharaoh, He thought he was God. Well, he was sorely mistaken, all right? Sorely mistaken. And so the one true God showed his true colors to all the people of Egypt and Israel, and they were set free. And the key thing that set them free was not the fact that they got to leave Egypt, but because they trusted God in Passover. You see, Passover... The day before they were set free, God said, if you would put your faith and trust in me, if you would allow a sacrifice to take place for your sin, a lamb, then I will overlook your sin. What the Passover is, is clearly a picture of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, there is no Passover. And so the blood of that animal, if you by faith believe that God's word is God's word, that God means what he says, then you will have salvation. And so the people of Israel, by faith, did what God said, as weird as it was. And they were rescued. They were saved that night. And then, the next day, not only did they experience that spiritual freedom, they also experienced physical freedom. For they were able to leave Egypt And so they were to go and they were to to follow God through a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night going through the wilderness. And they came up to this mountain called Sinai. And at this very mountain, God said, oh, wait a minute. Don't get up on this mountain because it's holy. Don't even touch it. That's how utterly other I am than you. If my voice cracks, I think I'm getting ill, getting sick, so I will not be shaking your hand today, all right? But um, he said, do not touch it because this This mountain is holy. I'm utterly other than you. But you're going to hear my voice. And on the very mountain, with all the people to hear, God gave them the Ten Commandments. It's not like you see in the movie, okay, where Moses goes up on the mountain, then the Ten Commandments are are done. That's later on. All the people of Israel heard the Ten Commandments as uh, they were written in Exodus chapter 20. So what I want to share with you is the fact that we are set free to live free. If you have your Bible, go to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. Listen to what the scripture says. 
and God spoke all these words. All right, so the people, just picture that. The people on the bottom of the mountain. The mountain uh, is, if you see in chapter 19, there's thunders. Okay, there's rattling. There's lightning in this mountain. And it's freaking the people out. So much, in fact, that at the end of the Ten Commandments, they're like, we can't hear this anymore. It's scaring us to death. Moses, you go on up there. But listen, God is speaking to them. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Listen, before we talk about the commandments, before we go through this this 10-week series of the commandments, we need to talk about the commander, right? We need to talk about the one who gives these commands. Question for you. What makes God's word, it says, and he spoke all these words, what makes God's word over and above all other words. Think about that. What makes God's word over and above all other words? Why is his word absolute in such a relativistic society? When it seems everyone's word is equally valid, right? That's the way it seems. And we have a great medium for everyone to share all their great wisdom. Social media, where all of it's true, right? That's right. I I, I read a quote uh, from that. It said, uh, don't believe everything you read on Facebook. And it was signed from Abraham Lincoln. No, that's bad. That's bad. But, okay, listen. Why is his word over and above? Thank you. Why is his word over and above all other words? What authority does he have? What makes his the voice that counts? Listen, here's the answer, and it's right in this verse. Because he is God, and he is the one and only God. The word God in that verse is the word Elohim. Elohim means sovereign God. That word visualizes when people of Israel, when they see the word Elohim, when they, when they see and read the word God, that name visualizes that he is the creator. When I explained the story earlier, it's all him from the very beginning. Before him, there was nothing. Okay? There, there is nothing. He is the self-existent God. Remember we talked about that? He is the self-existent God. He has always been. He has to have always been or there would be nothing. He is uh, the creator. He is the one with all Power. He is the one with all might. He is bigger than we could imagine. The Apostle Paul, he says in 1 Timothy 1.17, as, as he's just pondering the grace and the mercy of God upon him, the chief of sinners, he looks up and he says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever Amen. What Paul is saying is, listen, there is only one of him and he is awesome. There is no one above him. There's no one beside him. He is all that and that's a good thing. He alone is all these things. He is worthy. As as was said with our praise team, he is alone. He is worthy of our worship because he is Elohim. He is worthy of our worship. And that alone is enough. We can stop right there. 
And all praise, all adoration, all work, all thought should be fully directed towards him. He's worthy of it. But God gives us more. Right there in our verse, Exodus 20, verse 1 and 2. He is also Lord. He is also Lord. God spoke these words saying, listen to this. I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. The the word Lord is the word Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal name. It's his promise-keeping name. It's his covenant-keeping personal name. As the great theologian Emily Felton would say on Facebook, Yahweh is reliable. He is gentle. He is powerful. He is authoritative. He is the great I am. That's who he is. He is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he is the same God who is drawing you and I into relationship with him. Can you believe that? He is utterly other and transcend. He's eminent. He is right here with us. He is the one who knows all things. And yet he is the one who knows your name. He is the one who makes promises. And he is the one who keeps them. Psalm 33 gives a beautiful picture of what it means to be Yahweh for us. Psalm 33 um, Verse 6 to 22. Listen to what it says. It's on your screen. You could look it up in your, in your Bible. Listen to what it says. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He's the wisest of the wise. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his inheritance. You see the personal nature there? You see that? He is so utterly other and yet he's right here. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse horse is a false hope of salvation. And by his great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for who? The Lord. He is our help and he is our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. What does this say? It says he is amazing and yet he's here with us. I believe he says, follow my commands. I'm faithful to you. I will see you through. I will always lead you in the right direction. To which now I bring a question to you. Is God big to you? 
Is God big to you? Do you know him? I'm here to tell you today, he is inviting you to know him today. The great God of everything wants you to know him personally. Listen, we had just scratched the surface, okay, on who God is, how great, how big he is, but we need to switch gears for time's sake, all right? Uh, back to Exodus 12, uh, 1 to 2. Listen to what he says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What was, what was Egypt? E- Egypt was slavery. Egypt was bondage. But, listen, it was the only way of life they knew. 400 years. That last generation, they didn't know what freedom was like. They didn't know how to live free. They had no idea. All they knew is to do what, was told, what they were told to do, and that's it. They didn't have freedoms. They, they may have thought some things, but they could never act on their thoughts because they were not free to do so. It was just their way of life. Let me ask you a question. What is Egypt to you? What is Egypt to you in your life? What is it that enslaves you today? We have God's word. We we know what God says that, that, that can bring us freedom. But we won't or we can't. Follow God's word, his reliable word, holy God, the one who, he knows how it works because he created it. Your life. What is it that is stopping you from freedom? Is it, is it relationships? Are you involved in relationships that you know are dragging you away from the one true God? Are you seeking help? Are you seeking counseling in that? Is it substances? Is it food? Is it alcohol that has, that has replaced your faith and trust in God? That's the thing that enslaves you. That's the thing that whenever you're, you're, you're celebrating or when you're sorrowful, that's what you run to. That enslaves you. Is it lust? High times, low times. What do you run to? Is it anger? There are some people that their goal in life is to stir up strife. I mean, that's what gives them a kick. Everything is going great. That's not good. I've got to stir up strife. I've got to gossip. Nothing is going on on Facebook or or Twitter or, or Snap. Chat or whatever. And so, so I gotta, I gotta post some things just, just to get people frustrated. We see that all the time. To some, it's anger. You're a slave to anger. To some of us, it's the approval of others. I have to be liked. If I post something or if I say something, if I don't get enough likes, if I don't get enough compliments, I don't know what to do with my life. If someone tells me to do something, then because I need their approval, I'll do it, even though it may be wrong. I'm not comfortable with it, but that's fine. I'll go and do things just so that people will like me or notice me. 
What, what is your Egypt this morning? Well, according to scripture here, when we look at Egypt, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of this. I am the God that can bring you out. Listen, the problem in your life is always going to be this. It's always going to be sin. But the answer is always going to be Jesus. Because he is the only one that can break you free from whatever it is that's binding you. Jesus is that great I am. Jesus is the one who says, before Abraham was, I am. He is the one. Whatever your struggle, whatever your need, the answer is the same. But yet we keep going back because we don't know better. But God set the people free from slavery. He set them free so that they can truly be free. This is salvation. God sets you free for a reason. So that you can live free. What is freedom? We talked a little bit about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. But listen, we need, to, we need to define this. Is freedom the ability to do anything you want, anytime you want to do it? Here's the problem with that, with that definition. Because a lot of us, we think it that way. Freedom is the ability for me to do anything I want at any time I want to. The problem is, if that is your definition of freedom then you're going to infringe on the rights of other people's freedoms. Because what you may want to do may be not what the person next to you wants to do. And so you're forcing them to do what you don't want to do. Then at that point, we all have, remember we talked about this, everyone's got your own kingdom you're trying to build up. And so if it's all about your freedom and your rights, then we got a war going on. Okay, not between two nations, but we got, I mean, this is great. You can't even have alliances. Because everyone's uh, all about themselves. So that's not true freedom. That will only bring us into more slavery. So a proper definition, true freedom is having the ability to choose to do the right thing. Or as one pastor would say, true freedom is the ability to live out what you were made for. To live out the calling for your life. And that is so true. That's what freedom truly is. It's having the ability to choose to do the right thing. You see, before God set the people of Israel free, before God set you free, when you trusted in Jesus Christ, you had only one option. Sin. That's all you knew. That's all you knew. We were slaves to sin. But then when God opened your eyes, when you saw the beauty and the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ, he gave you a choice. He gave you a choice. He set you free to choose right. He gave you a choice to choose freedom. And he will always, Jesus will always lead you to do the right thing. And you're like, well, how do I know God's will? He has given it to us. He has given us his will. So you don't have to wonder. Whatever area you're going, on, going through in life, there's an answer to it. There really is. Whether clearly stated in the scriptures or the principles of God are right there in scripture. For us to know for sure his will for our life at this moment. Listen, and if you understand that truth, if you understand that God set you free to live free, if you can really believe that, then if God ever gives you a commandment, 
you'll want to follow it. Let me say that again. If you really believe that God set you free so that you can live free, live life abundantly to the full, then whatever command he gives you, you'll want to do it. In 1 John 5, verse 2 and 3, John says this, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. When we love God and keep his commandments. Not that we keep his commandments in order to earn God's favor, in order to earn God's acceptance in us. No, no, no. We, we lovingly obey him because we have been accepted. We have been received into the family of God. And it is a joy for us to do what he calls us to do. Why? Because everything that he calls us to do is for his glory and for our good. No matter what command you're dealing with, you're going to deal with the relationship between me and God, the first four commandments, or my relationship with others. And any one of those commandments, if you break, you're breaking relationship. I've said this before, but it just makes perfect sense. If I lie to you, is that going to hurt our relationship? Absolutely. If I kill you, will that affect our relationship? Yes, it will. If you kill me, the same. I will come back and haunt you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm going to be with Jesus. Okay. But, but can you not see the heart of God in this? This, this is God's love for us to bring commandments. So much that David says in Psalm chapter 40 verse 8, he says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. And your law is within my heart. And your law is within my heart. Psalm 48. Wow. That is phenomenal. So listen. Let's kind of start wrapping this up here. So if God sets us free, I think you already know the answer to this. So if God sets us free, why the Ten Commandments? That's a good question, right? But we kind of know the answer to this already. If God sets us free, why the Ten Commandments? So that we can stay free. Church, hear me. Guests, hear me. The reason he gives us the Ten Commandments is that we can stay free. These Ten Commandments, these Ten Laws are like guardrails for our life so that we wouldn't go over the edge. So that God would put these Ten Laws in place for us so that we can experience what true freedom is. If I loved God with everything, it's an honor to follow him. If I want to have right relationship with my neighbor, there are things that I need to know how to do. Because remember, our life, most of it, even when you got, whenever you became a Christian, you still have chosen to live in slavery. Just like the Egyptians. I mean, the, the uh, Israelites. Okay, 400 years in slavery. They didn't know how to live free. So they became free and they're like, what do we do now? This is scary. I don't know how to live for God. Maybe it was just easier to go back to Egypt, to go back into slavery. And God's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand the freedom that you have. I will show you what it means to live free. And I've given you 613 laws. You can put them together into 10 commandments, to which Jesus actually puts them into two. Love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. But you know what? We don't, we don't get that. To us, that's just blanket. We don't understand. What does it mean to love God? But him, there's only one. Acknowledge that. 
Don't use his name in vain. Don't worship idols. Keep the Sabbath holy. Oh, that's how I love God. By, by receiving him and then joyfully following his command. Well, how do I love other people? Don't covet their stuff. Don't sleep with their spouses. Don't lie to them. Don't steal from them. That's how I love people. Do you see that? Do you see the heart of God in this? It's absolutely beautiful. These boundaries that God gives us, these laws, are for our protection, for our love, and for our trust. God did not just leave us alone in the desert. No, he shows us, he frees us, and then he shows us how to live free. Which brings us now to commandment number one. Finally, we're going to start our sermon. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) No. Commandment number one. No other gods before me. Actually, commandment number one from the Hebrew is verse one through three. Because you cannot, you cannot dissect the commandment from the commander. So really the first commandment, which will give us a view, which will give us understanding for all the other nine commandments is this. Here's commandment number one. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Have no other gods before me. Have no other gods before me. No other gods before God is now speaking of this, total allegiance, total commitment to him and to him alone. After everything that we've talked about from the beginning, when I, when I uh, storied from, from the beginning of Genesis all the way up, the verses that we have already read, right? The verses that we have already talked about, everything that we've said about God so far, he is Elohim, he is God, he is Yahweh, he is the Lord. There is no one like him. He's utterly other. All these, it's almost like this doesn't need to be said, but guess what? We're dumb sheep and we need to, we need it clear, okay? And so the clear first commandment is this, no other gods. How foolish it would be to chase after something or someone else. Listen, to worship or to have any other God is number one, offensive to the one true God. Let's think about everything that we've talked about, how we've, in our frail human understanding, we have described God. There is only one. There is no other how offensive that would be for us to run after another. It would be offensive. It reminds me of, I think it was the 2004, no, later than that, the, uh, the VMA Awards. Now, for those that don't know that, it's a music award. Well, there was a, uh, a young girl named Taylor Swift, okay? She got the best video of the year, okay? So she was number one for that year. So while she's coming up to get her award, there's a guy named Kanye West that jumps up uh, and kind of takes the, the trophy from her and says, listen, you know, you're, you're amazing and all, you're good, but I personally think that Beyonce should have won uh, that uh, for the year. I'm just telling you, you're not number one and gives it back to her. You know, <laughs> she was like, uh, okay, that's awkward, Dude, that was offensive. But you know what? You know the difference between that and the situation with God is the VMA Awards was a popularity vote. 
right? Of course, many people could have thought Beyonce got the best video. It doesn't matter. But when we're speaking of God, there is no one above him. There is no one beside him. Even the greatest force outside of him is nothing to him. Satan, this is not an arm wrestling contest between God and Satan. God created him. God will end him. There is no equal. How offensive is it for us to chase after another God when there is only one true God? It's offensive. It's blasphemy. I mean, think about it. Who or what could compare to God? Who can bear the weight of that? Some of us put our spouses on a pedestal. Your spouse cannot bear the weight of your being your God. Your kids, some of you put your kids up on this pedestal that's breaking their heart because they cannot attain to your standards. Some of us have put careers, have put a specific job. If I just get that job, then, 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 then everything will be great. You know what happens then. Athletes, they, they reach the pinnacle of their career. And they have nothing else. And, and they realize that their God was empty. And they live fatalistic from then on. Listen, no one can bear the weight. Your spouse, your kids, your career, or even yourself. You cannot bear that weight. And yet we do it all the time. To our destruction. So that's why God says, no other gods. There's only one that can fill that position. And that's me. Let me do my job in your life. Wow. How freeing that would be for you to not be God of the universe. How freeing would that be? Be his child That's what we're called to be. To follow him, not lead him. To worship, to have any other God is number one, offensive. And number two, it is a wasted life. Imagine what a wasted life looks like. Here's what a wasted life looks like. One time I took our students, um, this was many, many years ago, um, when I was youth pastor, we were going to go to this beautiful mountain and we were going to hike it. It's called Enchanted Rock, okay, in Texas. And I was kind of in charge of the trip, got all the food stuffs together. And we had to be at this place at noon because the doors closed because it was so popular. They wouldn't let anybody else in afternoon. So I had to be there by noon. All right, so everyone put their eyes on me. It's like, we're going to do this. We left at like nine o'clock because it was like a two, uh, yeah, two hour drive. Perfect. We're going to make it. No problem. Everyone gets in the van. There's another van behind me that's all packed up. We're ready to go. I'm driving. I I get off. Now, y'all don't know uh, Texas very well, but I'm just going to tell you, I got off on I-10. Many of you know the U.S. Highway 10. I got on there. I started driving towards Houston, and then I started getting phone calls. I'm like, eh, you know, by then it was that that flip thing, okay? I was like, hey, what's up? They go, hey, Scott, you doing all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm doing great, great. Is everything good with you? Yeah, we're good. I hadn't been this way before. I'm like, okay, no problem. I got it. I kept driving. About 45 minutes later, they called and said, Scott, you do realize you're on I-10, right? I said, absolutely. I know, oh, no, I'm supposed to be on I-35, Turned around, didn't make it. That was a wasted trip. In some eyes, that was a wasted trip. 
Now that was just a youth trip. You know what we did? We pulled off on the side of the road, ate our bologna sandwiches. We had fun, okay? We, we made up for it. But imagine a life. You thought you were going the right way. 40, 60, 80 years, only to realize at the end you were going the wrong way. That is a wasted life. Worshiping any other God than the one true God is ultimately futile. Why? Because there is no other. Anything that would substitute that is exactly that. It's a substitute and it's not substantial. It will not save you. It'll ultimately fail you. False gods will equal false living. You're going to live for the wrong things. If you choose anything other than God, you're going to live for the wrong things. And ultimately, it'll bring false hope. It'll always, eventually, let you down. Your spouse, I'm going to break it to you now, okay? Especially those of y'all that have been married a couple of months. Listen, to those of y'all that have been married 20 plus years, listen, you know this. Your spouse is going to let you down. Amen. (laughs) Okay, Uh, except mine. Mine's perfect. Other than that. But listen, your spouse is going to let you down. Your parents are going to let you down. Your kids are going to let you down. Your boss is going to let you down. Your celebrity is going to let you down. Whatever it is that you're putting above God is going to eventually let you down. Living for anything other than God does not end well. So God in love gives you commandment number one. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of slavery. Don't go back there. Don't go back there. Don't go chasing after other things. Focus on me. I am a jealous God. He is a jealous God. A lot of people, ooh, that's kind of scary to think he's a jealous God. No, that's a good thing. Because he's jealous for your affection. He wants you. He wants you. Now, this is going to sound like a a crazy book here. He wants you to have the best life and eternal life. And there's only one way to get that. And that's through him. So, yeah, he's jealous. He wants you to choose what's best. He just happens to be best. And there's no other. So it breaks his heart when children and those outside chase after other things. Because he knows it does not end well. So I conclude with this. Is God bigger than anything you can imagine? Is God worthy of your complete worship? Is God trustworthy enough for you to totally obey? If yes, then I I, I plead with you. If you're already a believer and, and you've allowed areas of slavery to come back into your life, whether it's addictions, uh, whether it's lusts, whether it's uh, money or whatever those things. We're going to talk a lot about that in idolatry next week. But have you allowed something else to take the place of God? If that's the case, I urge you, I urge you from the pleading of Scripture, repent, turn from that. Give it, give it up again. Go back to your one true love. Go back to your first love, church. We just had return to holiness at the beginning of this year. And you know what I realized? I need to return again. I need to go back. If that's you, I plead with you, recommit to following him in all things. He's worth it. He's worthy.
Now, if you do not know this God, I urge you to enter into a relationship today. We're going to have an invitation time, and there'll be people that are standing right here in the front. They would love to show you how you can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What I want to do right now is I want to close in prayer and open up the altar, uh, open up if our our, um, counselors would come forward. I want to pray a prayer from Jeremiah chapter 10. Let's close our eyes and let's pray right now. Father, there is none like you. Oh Lord, you are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due from among all the wise ones and the nations and in all the kingdoms. There is none like you. The Lord, he is the true God. God, you are the living God and the everlasting king. At your wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure your indignation. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth, they're going to perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But it is you who made the earth by your power. You established the world by your wisdom and by your understanding, you stretched out the heavens. When you utter your voice, There is a tumult of waters in the heavens. For you are the one who formed all things. The Lord of hosts. That is your name. And God, at the name of Jesus, I I beg, I plead, God, that you would draw people to yourself this morning. God, that if there's someone that's struggling with knowing if you're the one true God, God, that you would reveal yourself so clearly this morning. God, allow them to know that not only are you the one true God, but they need you, and they need you right now. They need you this morning. Please, God, give them the courage and the strength to come up and to talk to someone about how they can know you and have a relationship with God through Christ. God, I pray for those who have been uh, guests for for some time. They've they've, uh, been a part of our church, and now, Lord, they feel led to become a member of the church. I pray that you would give them Uh, Lord, that that clear answer, Lord, to come and to join the church uh, this morning. And Father God, as we got baptism coming up, what an awesome way to to honor you and to obey you, Father God, by following their salvation with believers' baptism. God, that you would give them the courage to come forward and to say, I want to be baptized on July 22nd. God, whatever you do, God, it may just be a time for uh, a brother or sister to come up to the altar and just pray. God, you know what we need. Please, God, provide. You are the only one who can free us, and you're the only one who can show us how to live free. Please do that in this moment. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.